Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study the Word of God. We know that the Bible is your Word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. The words here that we read in the book of Genesis are indeed written by your Holy Spirit because men like Moses were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Thank you for this Word that teaches us about our salvation teaches us about who we are and our need for you. Would you help us now to understand it, and may we understand it accurately, correctly, and give us confidence, give us conviction, give us boldness to preach the word of God based on this truth that we learn. In the name of Christ, amen. Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10. We'll read a few verses at a time. Genesis chapter 10. As you're finding your way there, chapters 10 and 11 go together in that we have the post-flood world, or the world that is populated after the flood. The descendants of Noah are listed in chapters 10 and 11 and what happened to them. And by the end of chapter 11, we reach Abraham. So from the time of Noah to the time of Abraham, that's what we have in chapters 10 and 11 and the descendants of Noah or the ancestors of Abraham. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. This is the content of the chapter. The generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. He had three sons, They did not have any children before they entered the ark. And after they disembarked, then they began to raise families. And these are their sons. This is the lineage going from Noah, his sons, and then their sons and grandsons, so forth, here in this chapter. So after the flood, sons were born to them. They did not have any before that, only after the flood. The first son that is described is the last son mentioned. Notice Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So now in verses 2 to 5, we have this son Japheth mentioned and his descendants, his own offspring and their names. We'll notice that the order is the reverse of what's mentioned in verse 1. In in Hebrew, there is a, a way or a tendency of listing something in a certain order and then explaining everything about that initial list in the reverse order. And that's what we have here happening. So Japheth is mentioned first in verses 2 to 5. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tiras. Firstly, in verse 2, Japheth, the son of Noah, he has these sons, Gomer Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. These are usually known to have inhabited certain parts of Asia, West Asia, and North Asia, and Europe, these sons. For example, the, uh, the sons of Gomer inhabited North Asia and Europe. These are also known in history as the Cimmerians, with a C or with a K, Cimmerians, or from Gomer. 
You'll notice also, as I mentioned names and alternate forms of the names, that there are similarities in the spelling, but there's enough uh, difference for us to be confused, but enough similarities where you can, if you're paying attention, understand that there is a relationship between the two. This happens even in English, between English and Spanish, or English and German, English and French. There are some words that are similar in each of these languages, and that's what we have happening here. And in the case of biblical names, we go from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to European languages, and then finally into English, and that's why there are many, many differences in the way that words are spelled. But with some confidence, knowing this in advance, we can go back and say that the son of Japheth named Gomer is also known in history, not as Gomer, but also as Kimer um, and the Kimerians who lived in North Asia and in Europe. Um, Magog. Magog is known in history as the Scythians, right? In Colossians 3, actually, Colossians 3, 10 and 11, it mentions the Scythians, that in Christ there is no more distinctions between these kinds of peoples. And these two were those who inhabited parts of Asia and in Europe. The next one mentioned is Madai. Madai is the same as the Medes. The Medes in Central Asia, in the time of the Medes and the Persians, you may recall them, that they defeated the Babylonians, the Assyrians first, and then the Babylonians, and then the Medes and the Persians, as a joint empire, defeated the Babylonians. So Madai and the Medes from Central Asia. That area that is in modern Iran, that area of modern Iran, that's where they inhabited. Javan, that is the Greeks. The Greeks, this is known um, in ancient times. The, the Greeks are also called the, the Ionians. Ionians, and you may see this as a dialect of Greek. There is Attic Greek, there's Ionic Greek, there's different kinds of dialects of Greek. Well, this comes, that name, Ionia, comes from Yawan. It's a related, it's a cognate of the, the name here. The people of Tubal, Tubal, these are the Iberians or Iberians, and the Iberians are to us more known as the Spaniards. They went into Europe and into West Europe over there to inhabit the land of Spain. That's who uh, Tubal is, or the Iberians. Then we have um, the name of the son Meshech. Meshech may, may be the Cappadocians, the Cappadocians, and perhaps also those who inhabited the area of Moscovy or Moscow, Moscow, the Russians, are perhaps descendants of Meshech here. Um, Tiras, Tiras is um, also a, a European uh, group or, or came to be in Europe. These are the Thracians or Thracians, Thracians, T-H-R-A-C-I-A-N-S, and that is, is was well known as an ancient people in that area of Europe and Asia. So then, after listing these sons, he mentions Gomer and Gomer who has more sons. And verse 3, the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, 
Riphath, and Togarmah. Gomer had these sons, Ashkenaz. The people of Ashkenaz, they also lived in first in Asia, but also it's likely that some of them, or if not all of them, migrated farther into Europe, into Germany. In fact, the Jewish people, when they refer to their own people who live in Germany, they called them Ashkenazi Jews. Ashkenazi Jews. These are the ones that are here listed in verse 3. Um, Rifat, Rifat is likely those people who went to live near Pontus. Pontus in Asia or West Asia in the area um, of uh, Western Asia and in Turkey in those areas of the world. Then Togarmar, uh, Togarmar is likely the Turks themselves, the country of Turkey, Togarma. Then verse 4, and the sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim, and Dodanim. Javan, um, from which come the Greeks, however, there are more descendants from Javan who became the ancestor of the Greeks, and that is Elisha. Elisha is a- another name in the Bible, later in the Bible, for those who inhabit the, the island of Cyprus, um, the island of Cyprus, and which also has a relationship to the Greek language and the Greek peoples. Um, Tarshish, Tarshish, or in the New Testament, we know one Saul of Tarsus. This was a place in modern Turkey, in the, the, um, in the province or region of Cilicia, Tarsus of Cilicia in that area of Turkey, right there on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Kittim. Kittim is most often in the Old Testament and in history a reference to the Romans, the Romans or the Latins, those who inhabited Italy and that area around Italy, the Romans or the Latins. The Dodanim, it's spelled differently in First Chronicles. It's spelled with an R at the beginning. So if we take the R spelling instead of Dodanim, Rodanim, then the place in the, in the Greek isles, in the Greek territories of Rhodes. You may have heard of Rhodes. And that's what we have here in verse 4. So he says, Moses says in verse 5, from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Here's what we have. They, a summary. These, from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands. Now, when the Bible says coastlands in the Old Testament, this is an Old Testament expression, it does not mean that these were islands with water all around necessarily. It's another biblical word for distant countries, distant or remote countries, the coastlands or the distant and remote countries. Uh, Sometimes we will see this used in parallel. For example, um, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 41, 
Isaiah 41 and verse 1, it says, Coastlands, listen to me in silence, and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. In 41.1, he uses coastlands as a synonym for peoples. And by peoples, he means distant peoples, not the people of Israel, but the nations of the world, the Gentiles or the heathen nations of the world. That's a reference to them. And I think that's what we have also in chapter 10, verse 5. And notice already, as the Bible sometimes does, it mentions something in anticipation of something to be mentioned later. Here it says, From these the coastlands of the nations were separate, separated into their lands, lands, every one according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Here there is a separation, and it says here, every one according to his language, which anticipates chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Chapter 10, in other words, explains the fact of this separation, the fact of this uh, difference in language or differences in language. Chapter 10 explains that fact, that reality, and chapter 11 explains why. 11, 1 to 9 explains why that is the case. Then, verse 6. And the sons of Ham were Cush and Mitzrayim and Put and Canaan. Ham, the son of Noah. From chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 24, we know that this son, Ham, was the youngest of the three. Chapter 9, 24, it says, When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. His youngest son, Ham. And in this way, we know that the order of the words or the order of the names in chapter 10, verse 1, is not uh, according to birthright. It's not the birth order. There is another order in mind. Right. So, verse, back to chapter 10, verse 6. This Ham, the youngest son of Noah, he had these sons, Cush, now, Cush in the Bible, there is some confusion about this name Cush and word Cush, or especially in relation to the nation of Cush. In the scriptures, when you consult English translations, you will sometimes see differences in our translations. Cush in the Bible is often used as a synonym for Ethiopia in Africa. Ethiopia in Africa. That's often the way English translations do it. However, in ancient times, Cush was not Ethiopia in Africa, but Cush was in Arabia. It was a part of Arabia, the, one of the southern parts of Arabia, but it was in Arabia. So it would be an Arabian Cush, not an African Cush. Likely is the son of Ham. However, um, we should not think that the, the, um, son of, the sons of Ham have nothing to do with Africa, because the next name, Mizraim, or in Hebrew it's Mitzrayim, there's a T-S sound instead of a Z, a T-S sound, so Mitzrayim in Hebrew, it is the common name in the Hebrew language for the nation of Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is Mitzrayim. So, 
the inhabitants of northern Africa in the land of Egypt, the Bible names them Mitzrayim. Ham's, one of Ham's sons went there and inhabited that area. The next one is Put. Put, or sometimes you might see P-H-U-T. Put or Put. This is Libya also in Africa. North Africa, Libya, near Egypt. Um, Egypt and Libya right here. And then the final one is Canaan. Canaan, we know where that is. The land of Canaan, where the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel inherited. So it appears that these sons of Ham, two of them inhabited North Africa and one of them Arabia, that is in the southern part of the Fertile Crescent area, the southern part of West Asia, under the, or south of the land of Canaan. And then Canaan himself inhabited that area. We'll see Canaan brought up again in verses 15 to 20. Canaan will be mentioned later. So then, verse 7, And the sons of Cush were Sabah and Havilah and Sabtah and Ra'amah and Sabdekah. And the sons of Ra'amah were Sheba and Dedan. Verse 7 most of these are easily identifiable as inhabitants of Arabia. Most of these are easily identified as inhabitants of Arabia, especially Sabah, Shabah, Dedan, uh, Sabdika. These are identifiable as tribes that inhabited Arabia. Then, among these sons, notice it says verse 8, he has another son that was not mentioned um, earlier, and this son is Nimrod. Nimrod, he became a mighty one on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-ir and Kalah and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. Verses 8 to 12 are taken up with Nimrod. The name Nimrod, um, it's likely that his name comes from a Hebrew word which means to rebel, to rebel the Hebrew verb um, marad, to rebel, which is taken from the last four consonants that you see in his name. So, if this is the case, it would make sense as to why in ancient translations, such as the Greek Old Testament and the Aramaic Old Testament, as well in Jewish commentaries and literature throughout the ancient uh, times, throughout history, Nimrod is always a bad character. He's always an evil man, somebody who did wrong. And we can see, even if it's not self-evident from our English translations, based on the Hebrew Old Testament, verses 8 to 12, if it's not evident here, we can tell, if we compare it to chapter 11, that Nimrod certainly was an evil man. He was a wrongdoer because it says... Verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And what is Babel? Or where is Babel? Right. 
chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, the Tower of Babel, Babel. Who started that? Who instigated that? It was Nimrod. Notice that's what it says in verse 9. It doesn't say his name there in chapter 11, but 11 verse 9, it says, Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. At least from that we know that Nimrod was an evil man. Okay? We know that. So if he was an evil man, why is it that the Greek Old Testament and the Aramaic Old Testament, when they translate this passage, they have a word or a phrase or a brief note somewhere along the line in their translation that indicates that he did wrong or that he did evil. They do that because they know he's an evil man. They understand the etymology of his name. They also understand the connection to chapter 11. That's why they do so. So, right here in verse 8. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. Mighty one on the earth, in other words, means he became a very powerful man who was like a tyrant. A powerful man like a tyrant. That is the implication of verse 8. Not just that he was a strong man, a warrior, a valiant man, not like that. But he became mighty in doing wrong, in doing evil. And verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. In fact, in the Greek Old Testament, it says, before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, actually, they translated against the Lord. He was a mighty hunter against the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter against the Lord. Which means he not only did wrong to people, but also to animals. Not that he hunted and that was wrong, but he used his hunting in an evil way. However, we don't know how he did so, but he in some way used his hunting in an evil way against the Lord. And that should not surprise us either. Um, often, soldiers are trained in the use of force and the use of weapons first by hunting. Before they join the military, they understand something of weapons by going hunting. But in this case, it's not hunting and it's not the military. These are not evil in and of themselves. It's his method or his behavior in hunting and his behavior in being a tyrant, a mighty one, a ruler. We know that this means that he became a king or a ruler, and likely the first king, the first of all the kings of the earth, Nimrod. And this is what he was trying to do, establish himself in the land of Shinar, chapter 11, by building this Tower of Babel. Because he thought of, of himself as wonderful and, and great, and probably even considered himself a god, because in the Tower of Babel, it would have likely had a, t a temple at the top, a temple or a shrine at the top to worship the constellation, to worship the gods. So this invention of idolatry and self-worship and all of that may have occurred with him, with Nimrod. That's what it means that he was that way, a mighty hunter, meaning a tyrannical person. Verse 10, And the beginning of his kingdom 
was Babel. There we have it. This is the first case of the term kingdom being used in the Bible. The first case. So this is why some interpreters think that he was probably the first king. The first one to make himself king through tyranny, make himself king and exploit people by his use of force. And the first one was Babel. And we know Babel from chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, is where the Tower of Babel was constructed. Now, where was this Tower of Babel and this Shinar? Notice, it says in verse 10, Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. The land of Shinar is in southern Mesopotamia. In southern Mesopotamia. And Shinar is the same as Shumer. If you study ancient history, ancient Mesopotamian history, you learn of the first civilization that people know of in Mesopotamia called the Sumerian civilization. Sumerian or Shumerian, S-U-M-E-R or S-H-U-M-E-R, is the same as this in the Bible called Shinar. Ancient Mesopotamia, southern Mesopotamia. That's where Babel, Babylon, and these other places are. They're in that region. Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. Further, you might have heard of the language of the Akkadians, uh, the, the Akkadian language, A-K-K. Usually in modern English it's spelled A-K-K-A-D, Akkadian. The, the Akkadian language, where is that found? In many, many thousands of tens of thousands of tablets are found in Mesopotamia. They were found there. And that language is known as the Akkadian language because the people themselves identify themselves as Akkad or Akkadian. That's why the language is called Akkadian. They had a city and so forth. Um, verse 11. And from that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth Ir and Kalah and resin between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the great city. These cities now, it says, from that land he went forth into Assyria. Now, where he first settled was southern Mesopotamia. Now where he migrates is to northern Mesopotamia. You might think of northern Mesopotamia being where the ancient Assyrians lived, not Syrians, but Assyrians, the ancient Assyrians in northern Mesopotamia, and the ancient Babylonians and Sumerians in southern Mesopotamia. So he first inhabited and populated southern Mesopotamia in Sumer and Babylon, that area, then went to the north to Assyria. And that's why Nineveh, Nineveh is there in northern Mesopotamia on the Tigris River, Tigris and Euphrates this is where they mostly inhabited, along these two rivers. And that's where these cities are. Then, uh, verse 13, we have a return to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim 
is first mentioned in verse 6. He is a son of Ham. 13, and Mitzrayim became the father of Ludim, or of the Ludim, and Anamim, and Lehabim, and Naphtuhim. Mitzrayim, these are, we cannot identify all of these people, but likely, verse 13, the Ludim are the Lydians, the Lydians which were also in Asia Minor in that area, uh, West Asia and Asia Minor, the Lydians, they went there. But notice also in 14, and Pathrusim and Kosluhim, from which came the Philistines and Kaftorim. In 14, um, these peoples also, everyone is not uh, precisely known, but it does say that the Philistines came from the Kosluhim, and some interpreters take the phrase, from which came the Philistines, as referring to the next name, Kaftorim. Kaftor is where the Philistines came from, and others take it as Kasluhim. It seems uh, that whatever the case is, we know that the Philistines are descendants of the Mitzrayim. And in fact, when, we, when you study ancient history, there is a relationship or frequent interaction between the Philistines and the Egyptians, or the Mitzrayim. The Philistines and the Mitzrayim. And the Philistines, where they inhabited in the land of Canaan, it is not too far from Egypt. It's right there on the Mediterranean Sea, on the western coast of the land of Canaan, or the land of Israel, right there on the coast, and it's adjacent to Egypt. This is where the Philistines inhabited. All right, now, shifting to verses 15 to 20 with Canaan. Canaan specifically, and we can tell in verses 15 to 20 why some attention is given to Canaan specifically. Why? Because in chapter 9, a curse was placed on him, 9.25. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. A curse is placed on Canaan, but also we know that they are conquered by the people of Israel in the time of Joshua later. So here it's established who they are and what their pagan connections are. Of course, coming from um, a father, Ham, who was an evil man himself. Verse 15, And Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvadite, and the Zemorite, and the Hamathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanite were spread abroad. And the territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, as you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. So, these descendants, we encounter them 
in, in several other places in the Bible. In fact, a quick reference would be to go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, where some of these names are repeated. In chapter 15, verse 19, 19 to 21. Genesis 15, 19 says, actually, let's begin at 18 so we get the context. 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And he says, Who inhabits this land? The Kenite, and the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Here, different peoples as well mentioned in chapter 10, 10, 15 to 20. These are the various ones who inhabited the land of Canaan. We do not have any survivors that we can say with any um, clarity or uh, definitiveness that any of these survivors are here today. They're all gone. They don't exist anymore. So it's not, it's not, it's impossible to say with certainty about any of them. But let's see, with regard to the boundary, notice in 19, it says, the, the ter- their territory extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar. From Sidon as far as Gaza. So here, the northern boundary is Sidon, you know, Tyre and Sidon, in the land of Phoenicia, in the time of Elijah and Elisha, in the northwest part uh, of the land of Canaan, um, and as you go toward Gerar, and then he's going south to Gerar. Gerar was in the uh, southern area of the land of Israel. And then as far as Gaza, Gaza is going west. It's going west towards the Mediterranean Sea. And then he says, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These places are, Lasha is harder to identify, but Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, these four are there right uh, by the Dead Sea, right there by the Dead Sea on the eastern side. So over there by the Jordan River, which connects the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, Jordan River going north and south, that's where Sodom and Gomorrah, the, these places were. So these, this is the boundary of the land of Canaan that God gave to these Canaanites. Further, let's now go 21 to, uh, and following for Shem. And also to Shem, the father of all the children of Ever, and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. Now first, it says, also to Shem, the father of all the children of Ever. Now, Shem we know, we know him to be a son of Noah, and it says he is, Shem is the father of all the children of Eber, E-B-E-R. His name, in the spelling of, in the Hebrew language, is a name that... I believe, is related to the Hebrew word for Hebrew, the Hebrew. We see him here, and, and it may be that among the descendants of Shem, 
the one who retained the Hebrew language was this ever, ever, from Shem to ever, the father of all the children, um, it went through him. Uh, it would have to first go through our parkshad according to verse 24. But the reason Eber is mentioned in 21 is that he's a significant ancestor. Right. He's the significant ancestor, important ancestor. Let's turn to chapter 11 and, and we'll see what we're talking about. Chapter 11, verse 10. Remember in chapter 11, we have the genealogy of Abraham going from Shem to Abraham. So 11 verse 10 says, These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived 500 years after he became the father of Arpachshad, and he had other sons and daughters. Then it mentions Arpachshad, Shelah, and then verse 16. The son of Shelah was, and ever lived 34 years, and he became the father of Peleg. And Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. And then we go down to verse 26. The, and Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. There we have the connection between Shem through Arpachshad, um, Shelah to Eber, and then all the way down to Abraham. That's why Eber is mentioned, I think, in verse 21. Uh, furthermore, um, this connection to Abraham in reference to Hebrew is first mentioned in chapter 14, verse 13. This is the first occurrence of the word Hebrew in the Old Testament. 14:13. <clears throat> then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew... Abram the Hebrew. He's called the Hebrew, I think, because not only the language, but language and his ancestry coming from Eber, and Eber from Shem. Now let's go back to chapter 10 and verse 21. 1021. It further identifies uh, Shem by saying, The older brother of Japheth, or Japheth, children were born. Now here, there is a translational alternative. The New American Standard Bible, which I just read, says, the older brother of Japheth. That is, Shem is the older brother of Japheth. That means the birth order would be according to this translation, <coughs> Shem, Japheth, then Ham. That would be the birth order. But the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew is, it is more likely that it should be rendered um, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The brother of Japheth, the elder. And if you check your footnotes in your English Bibles, you will likely find a footnote that renders it that way. That it says, the brother of Japheth, the elder which would make Japheth the eldest brother, then Shem, and then Ham. It would be that order. Japheth, Shem, and Ham. If you ask me my preference, I think the second is better. That is, Japheth is the eldest, and then Ham, I'm sorry, Japheth, Shem, and Ham, in that order. 
Next is verse 22. The sons of Shem were Elam and Ashur and Arpachshad and Lud and Aram. Shem has uh, these sons and Elam, Elam, the Elamites, we will read of them later in the Old Testament, the Elamites, um, and also in history, these are the, those who inhabited Central Asia and are known by us more as the Persians. The Persians come from Shem. Ashur, Ashur is another of the inhabitants of Mesopotamia. Um, in fact, it's, it may be that the Assyrians... The Assyrians, their name, it likely comes from this name, Ashur. Because if you check the Assyrian name in ancient Semitic languages, it is the name Ashur. They called the Assyrians the people of Ashur. Um, Arpakshad is more difficult to identify, and, and Lud is also difficult to identify. Aram. Aram is the Arameans. These are the ones who inhabited the area northwest of Babylon or just directly north of the land of Canaan, more north of the land of Canaan, in modern Syria and also northern Iraq. Modern Syria and northern Iraq, the Arameans. The Arameans are also in our Bibles called Syrians. It depends on your Bible translation. Syrians and Arameans are referring to the same group, the same name and same group. We get the name Syria from uh, Greek, from Greek and then into uh, Latin and English because um, the city of Tyre um, is the city of Tsur or Tsor in Semitic languages, which became uh, with a, a Y spelling from Greek into Latin and into English. And that area of Tyre is where the Arameans or the Syrians, Surians, inhabited. And that's why we have this odd name, Syria and Aramea uh, or Arameans being a reference to the same people. But that's the case with that. We do know of them and they are very prominent throughout history. So then, verse 23, the sons of Aram were Uz and Hul and Gether and Mash. These names are also hard to identify. Uz is, it, it could be a name that is in West Asia, in the north, like we just said about the Aramaic, Aramean people, but it may also be that land that is south, because it's not too far away, in terms of miles, uh, south in the area of Edom. Edom, or where Esau inhabited the land of, of um, Edom or Uz. And who lived there also? We know from the book of Job. Job lived in this land. And it may be that that's where that um, area is. The other ones are harder to identify. Then 24, and Arpachshad became the father of Shelah, and Shelah became the father of Eber. This is what we read in chapter 11, this sequence. And the sequence is important. Why? Firstly, because of language and ethnicity, identity of the ancestry of Abraham. But also, verse 25, 
The name of, um, and two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. First, Peleg. Peleg, it's also mentioned in First Chronicles one nineteen. the same phrase is there. And Peleg we saw from chapter 11. He was a, a descendant of um, of Eber, one of his sons. And why was he named Peleg? Why did Eber give his son the name Peleg? For in his days the earth was divided. The division of the earth that is meant in verse 25 is likely the time of the dispersion, the time that they were scattered at the time of the Tower of Babel. That is the division that he means, the separation or the division into their various languages, tribes, and nations at that point. Then 25 also says that Eber had another son named Yoktan or Joktan, and Joktan became the father of Almodad and Shelef and Hazer Maveth and Jera and Hodaram and Uzal and Dikla and Obal and Abimael and Sheba and Ophir and Havilah and Jobal. All these were the sons of Yoktan. And most of these are hard to identify. Most are hard to identify. There are um, some who would like to say that for example, in verse 29, Ophir, Ophir may be uh, a reference to this descendant of Yoktan, son of Yoktan, going east and inhabiting the area of India. Um, and other names here are presented as well. So, it may be that from these descendants, some of the other ethnic groups that we know have ancient origins that are harder to know, they may have been all coming from this son, Joktan. Such as, let's say, the Chinese. They are also an ancient civilization and others. Verse 30. Now, their settlement extended from Mesha as you go toward Shafar in the hill country of the east. So, the hill country of the east, he's talking about that area east of the land of Canaan. So they did go that direction. And if they went that direction initially, it's not far-fetched to think that they went farther east eventually, farther east and farther north into um, Central uh, or um, South Asia and East Asia. Then verse 31, These are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations, and out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Okay, so this dispersion happens after the flood. Not before the flood, but after the flood. It's very important to keep this connection. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives, those eight persons, came out of the ark, and then they had descendants, and eventually they built a tower, and God, God uh, frustrated that project and scattered them and gave them different languages, and that's how the nations of the earth came into existence. 
Okay, now we'll take a break. In the next hour, we'll discuss the implications of what we've just studied.